Hello and welcome to Pharma Sessions, where medical affairs people hear from each other and maybe learn a little something. We covered so much in this episode, I want to get right to it. Evan Reddick recently joined an exciting emerging biotech with a major phase three trial win. It's preparing to launch a first in-class oral medication for breast cancer. He's serving as the AVP and head of global medical affairs strategy, having previously had a number of field and leadership roles at large pharma. A highlight for me was the very first topic we discussed, the framework of standing in success and what that means for leaders. But there are so many gems, I don't want to delay further. So let's dive in. As always, the views expressed here are our own and don't reflect those of our respective employers. Good morning, Evan. How are you today? Good morning, John. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Very pleased to have you here. Um, As we were prepping for this call, you started talking a little bit about this model of standing in success. And I'm hoping you could just share a little bit more about what that means and um, particularly from a metaphors standpoint. Yeah, I'd I'd be happy to. And you know, as I shared with you previously, when we were when we were talking about this podcast, uh, one, I'm very excited to do this. I've, I've watched your other podcast. I think it's a really useful tool to get, you know, interesting new thoughts out to folks who who will consume them and then use them uh, in, in their daily lives, use them in their professional careers, et cetera. Yeah, um, I mean, that is honestly, that's the goal. The perfect outcome here is that it, we get to something that's interesting enough or useful enough that somebody takes out a pen and, and jots it down. So. Oh, that's what we're trying to uncover, and hopefully we'll get there today. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, I hope that we can. I hope we can do that. Um, so, thanks for the question. This is something that you know you you and I were chatting about previously about standing in success, and I can't take credit for creating that 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 language there. Uh, I'm sure I picked it up or I heard it somewhere, but this is something that I feel that as you're developing, um, as you want to develop and implement strategies to get you to a place, it it's far easier to go and just magically move yourself to that place. So let's say that uh, you're creating a three to five year snapshot in the future of where you want to take your, um, your, your, your drug. If, if you're mm-hmm. with a pharma company or you want to take your widget, if you're with a widget manufacturing company, but you want to take your product and your, your goal to a certain place. So logically, we've just leaped from one side of the chasm to the next mm-hmm. and we've magically appeared in success. And it's three years from now and our product has been launched on the market and it's being uptaken and we've got 80% market share and we're very pleased with that. Fantastic. But that's complete fantasy. The question <laughs> of course, now we're standing in success, right? The question now is how did we get there? Right. And we, we, we look behind us and I'm reminded of like Indiana Jones and Raider, Raiders of the Lost Ark where, you know, he has to go across this rickety rope bridge. And to me, there's no bridge right now. And what holds up a bridge is pillars. And so as we think backwards of how we got to this, this landscape, the successful outcome, we need to work backwards and say, all right, I need, I don't know, three, four, maybe five very strong strategic outcomes that we've, we've generated, that we've worked toward and generated. And those are our large pillars that hold up this massive bridge that's going to carry us from our current position over into the success three years from now. So those giant pillars are, you can look at those as strategic imperatives that belie your, uh, your, your scientific narrative for mm-hmm. a pharma product. Those strategic pillars then are connected by little rope bridges and those, those, little, those little bridges with all those little walking paths, those are the individual tactics that have to be implemented in order to allow a team to go from one, one strategy, one, one successful implementation to the next. Uh, taken together, 
I think that's how you get across the the chasm of you know competitive pharma business. Well, I love that because you know medical affairs is so specialized, but what you're talking about isn't actually a, a super specialized approach, right? It's actually when I when I was in business school, one of the very first exercises that we did was the scenario where it was a team scenario. Your team has been in a uh, airplane crash and is trapped in like the Canadian tundra and you have a certain set of materials and you need to figure out how you're going to solve, solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And there is a right answer, um, based on, you know, what survival experts say and, and all, all of that. But the point of it was the very first thing you need to do is figure out, are you going to try to be rescued or are you going to go try to make a trek across? Right? So you're, you're creating that vision of what does success look like? And then everything else, all your other decisions, flow through to that. So that's sort of like a universal leadership technique or creating a shared vision. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, one of the things to bring it specifically to medical affairs that I like about this is like the pillars and the tactics. A lot of times med affairs leaders still struggle to sort of quantify what the value of, of, of it, of their work is or what they're bringing to, to the organization, but you're creating a roadmap, right? And so I'm, I'm just curious as you're having these conversations with your management, are you, are you aligning metrics to these sort of pillars and, and tactics? Does that sort of go into addressing that, that problem? How does that work? So you, you've brought up the, uh, uh, a very challenging, uh, three letter word, KPIs. Right? <clears throat> so I, I think all of us who've been in pharma for a while, uh, both love and hate KPIs. Yeah. Being able to quantify something that's, that's essentially qualitative is challenging. Mm -hmm. And in order to implement the appropriate K KPIs and not have you know your head in the clouds and not be unrealistic and set strange and unrealistic expectations, is that we have to understand what are the absolute critical success factors that underlie each one of your, let's say, strategic imperatives? The strategic imperatives or the, the pillars, the, st mm -hmm. the strategic pillars that we've just discussed, those are very diff difficult to quantify. Those are exceptionally easy to qualify and say that, let's say I want to get 50% um, of clinicians in the United States to be aware of an upcoming molecule from um, a, a smaller company. Mm -hmm. that my goal is 50. Let's just be realistic, right? Um, that That is a strategy and that can be measured by, you know, working with a vendor and polling clinicians and asking them, do you know of this company? Do you know of this molecule? And do you understand what the molecule is going to treat? Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty straightforward one. However, I would actually back up and say that the tactics themselves are probably easier and, and easier to quantify. Mm -hmm. And where the tactics I think come in is this is the, the coordination of, I have, I have to, I'm a former MSL myself. I started my career as an MSL in pharma, um, the role of the MSL and, and quantifying how many clinicians they, they reach out to mm -hmm. taking those quantifiable interactions, turning them into actionable insights that are then able to be looked at as insight implication and action those those tactics roll together to become their own strategic focus for the field team right. that again we can say we want 50% knowledge of our of our product at the end of 6 months right we're going to make it a um uh, a measurable time dependent and realistic goal 
but we can break that down and say, all right, we need field teams now reaching out and having conversations with 25 academic clinicians and a hundred um, uh, community clinicians every quarter. Yep. And this, this, this sort of uh, this game plan of saturation is what, what needs to be done. And that is exceptionally well quantifiable. However, of course, right. you're now asking your, your MSLs to go out there and count the clinicians they talk to and not necessarily the, the, uh, the impact of the insights. And, and there's a, there's a fine balance there. I think that we could have a whole different discussion on. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, so when you're doing this, and I think it, to me, this makes a lot of sense, right? Where you're starting with the, you're starting with the end in mind and then working backwards and your pillars and your tactics roll through. And it's impl implicit that if you do the tactics that we, your whole organization has agreed upon, will support the pillars and will drive the strategy, then you'll see success. My question is, how do you, how have you found it's been getting alignment on all of those elements, like the, the, what success looks like and, and going on, on through, and has that been different in big pharma versus small pharma? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, I mentioned previously, I started my career as an MSL. I did so in a top five pharma company, uh, 80,000 employees globally, very, I mean, very large organization, very wide triangle of leadership, as you can imagine. Um, <clears throat> in a large organization, communication is done so by the, by the leads of all the different functional roles. So the regional director would have communication back and forth with the national liaison lead, who would then talk to the vice president, who would get their you know, their overarching strategic value, uh, strategic imperatives and aims from the senior vice president who essentially rolls up into the CMO. And that sort of, that, that smooth, I'll say smooth coordination there uh, is done in a large company because you have, you, you have information flowing largely in one direction mm -hmm. in a small company. And I hate to use these, uh, the, the, these industry tropes, but in a small company, you truly are building a plane while you fly it. Mm -hmm. um, I am, uh, I, I think I'm employee 300 and something at, uh, at, at a relatively small biotech that's owned by a much larger parent organization, but this biotech is allowed to operate relatively independently as an oncology, um, in, in an oncology expertise area. And so I found that in a smaller company, the communication not just is, but absolutely must be uh, two-way and must span the entire gamut from CEO down to field medical employee. Mm -hmm. This, this level of communication sounds like chaos. And I think to the untrained eye, it, it actually is, but, um, much like early cavemen, you know, spoke in paintings on a wall, we speak through PowerPoint. And so <laughs> I will develop slides that very as clear as I can be clearly lay out. Here's where we want to be again, mm -hmm. standing in the result. This is, this is what I would like to implement in six months. And then. I'll take a, my next slide will be, here's where we are today. Mm -hmm. And in order to implement this, I feel that these, let's say these, these three key components need to be created, implemented, uh, created, agreed upon, and then implemented. And this is where you have key stakeholder engagement at a small company like mine, like, like the one I'm at now, um, titles matter far less. Right. And it's about influence without authority. And so, I, I may not have the field team, for example, in this, in my, in my new role, field team does not report up into me. However, I need the field team to do things in order mm -hmm. to achieve the goals that we've all set collaboratively. And so this influence of authority comes from uh, very clear communication, 
building a building rock steady trust and then executing on what you said you'd do. And it's just rinse repeat after that. Um, but if you, if you're not, if, if you're, if you're not doing anything, you need to be communicating. That's the key role because I, I was told this by my regional director when I was a field employee, um, eight years ago, um, surprises in pharma are bad. Now that might seem logical, right? The surprises are bad. And I would agree. Bad surprises are always bad, right? right. Um, however, good surprises are equally bad. And this took me a little while to sort of wrap my head around. Um, when people have communicated, when people have created these strategic imperatives, when people have created tactics that all ladder up to an end result, mm -hmm. even a good surprise changes the logical flow of what we had planned. And it requires that people come together in a group and, and address that issue. There will always be surprises, but we can limit the number of surprises that we have internally, for example, yeah. by controlling our environment as best as we can, and then being able to react to out, outside pressures. It's so interesting because you're, talk, you're talking about some things that oftentimes pharma companies do a lot of, of like talking to key stakeholders outside their organization, right? And gathering insights and making plans from this, but what you're referring to stakeholders inside the organization and getting, getting their buy-in. Um, and I'm just curious, having experienced both more of the top down and then that collaborative approach, do you get a sense that people feel more of a sense of ownership from, from, from it, from being part of that? Or is it something where actually the top down seems to seems to work fine right is that something that people should care about or, or not in your opinion i'm biased um I'm, because it's been my experience and i'll share my experience but but i i think that there are there's folks that sit in both camps I, no. I i really you know there are some folks who are absolutely thrilled to be in one role with one title their entire career and mm -hmm. and I, my hat's off to them because they know what they want they're, they're happy with it and they're able to do it with excellence and after you get really good at that role, it, you don't have to try as hard anymore. And you, you, every year you make a little bit more salary and they're happy. And I'm, we need, we need roles and we need folks like that. And then you have folks who, who would like to climb the corporate ladder, who would like to gain more leadership opportunities. Um, I will share that, that, um, as I was developing as an MSL, I felt more empowered when it was shared with me, what the results of my work did. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, uh, uh, again, as a field employee myself for a long time, you know, headquarters was a black box. I, I wasn't really sure where my insights went. I, I, I diligently put them into Viva and I, I, or I, I thought about them and I'm, I'm thinking about the, the core strategies that I'm aware of. I'm thinking about the tactics that I'm implementing in my territory in order to, you know, achieve these, these larger strategic pillars. And I'm inputting what I believe to be actionable insights. However, Oftentimes we don't know where those insights go. And it wasn't until, um, some of that got, got demystified that I started realizing, ah, so this is how my, my insights get used. And I, I would encourage anybody listening to this, that, that doesn't understand where their insights are. Ask, have the conversation with your manager, have the conversation with, when you do have your skip level meetings with your manager's manager, ask the question where, you know, how, how have my efforts, how have the efforts of my team, uh, changed the direction of business? Because um, mm -hmm. I, I firmly believe that there are there are two types of outcomes uh, in, in in pharma. There is an outcome that that's brought about and ultimately changes the direction the company takes strategically. And I, as a, as a, uh, the head of strategy for a small company, 
I absolutely am thrilled by those. We see a set of insights coming in over time that highlight a trend. And now we now we now know that there's been a shift and we can alter our strategy in order to address that. That's phenomenal. That, that changes the way your company works. Um, the other type, of course, is an external uh, is an external change where your efforts and your insights reveal um, a, a change in business that you're able to communicate externally and cause a change in behavior. Right. This is much, much more difficult, but it is sort of the holy grail of, of pharma and med affairs is can we change prescribing habits through the concerted efforts of evidence and confidence that ladder up to make a clinician come to the realization that, wow, maybe I should use that molecule right. in this setting. Things. Yep. And so that that's really the key there. So, I, so through communication and through sort of demystifying the process, it, it empowers folks to understand their role better and ultimately do their job better. And I, I find that, that at least in small pharma where I am now, um, there, there's so much more communication. And as, as I mentioned, in, you know, in large pharma, you have that very, very wide and tall triangle of, of hierarchy. And it's oftentimes difficult to get time on, on folks' calendars. Um, I will tell you, there are, you know, we have meetings between SVPs and MSLs all the time mm -hmm. at small companies, because again, titles don't matter as much and just getting the job done does. Well, and I think part of the communication is oftentimes like somehow having a single point of truth, right? And that is evolving over time as you're gathering, hearing these insights or external changes are happening. Can you talk at all about what points of truth you have, whether it's scientific narrative or value props or, or how those play together and how that works to kind of help create alignment across all of the different, different roles. Yeah. Um, that's an exceptionally broad question. <laughs> the really good one is one that we have to struggle with consistently day in and day out. Um, I, I think, you know, th there's some key points of truth that we try to implement and that really all ladders together into one, uh, one slide, again, the whole, you know, cavemen painting on walls or, uh, you know, uh, pharma executives communicating through, uh, through PowerPoint. But one thing that I think is absolutely critical is for teams to come together and create a coherent sort of start to finish scientific narrative. Yep. How do we, how do we view our molecule? How do we believe it's going to change the, the current landscape once it comes to market or, or in market? How, how do we want to be utilized and what change do we want to bring about? Do we want to bring about, you know, um, ease of use for clinicians? Do we want to bring about better diagnostic analysis to highlight better patient populations? And, and ultimately, you know, what is the quantifiable metric by which we want to change patients' lives? Are we trying to give them an additional three or four months? Are we trying to give them three or four years? Are we trying to cure their disease? So these are the sort of areas that we, we think about that, that, that we're, we're bugged at 2 a.m. waking up and we think about is how can we clearly identify the absolute must wins for right. our, our molecule, for our, for our current remit. And then once we've generated that, those multiple points of truth, those ladder together again, much like that, that bridge we've built across the mm -hmm. chasm to take us into success, mm -hmm. um, those, those moments of truth, those points of truth ladder together into a coherent and very articulable scientific narrative yeah. that we then need to, again, communicate communication is such a key thing is we communicate that very clearly across globally 
to all of our field, all of our teams, whether they be field or headquarters, such that, uh, and then of, of course I should back up and then at, at a certain level, um, at least where I am currently, we have to cr uh, cross populate that across to clinical development, early development, marketing, and then commercial, both sales and non-sales. Right. Um, compliantly, of course, within that separation of, of uh, commercial and medical. But once that has been completed and the entire organization understands the moments of the, the points of truth, the full scientific narrative, now it's, now it's time to take that externally and begin communicating externally because now we're all marching in lockstep. We're all using the same acronyms. We're all using the same terminology and we all have a very clear goal in mind. And that, that vision has now sort of come, you, you, it, it goes from being that ethereal, you know, gaseous, difficult to grab and, and think about, and it turns into, you know, a, a, a marble sculpture and it's very solid and you know exactly what it looks like. Now you can go out and communicate and talk about it. Yeah. And the internal cross-pollination is always mm -hmm. so interesting to me because it all has to, it all just has to work well together, right? The commercial needs to be aligned to medical and access needs to be having the pro communicating properly to either payers or national healthcare systems or whoever they happen to be, uh, responsible for, um, in order for it to work, in order for people to get access to, to the drugs. And I think that it's building a scientific narrative that is sort of relying on that virtuous circle of, of getting the insights as they come in and keeping it as, as a living document. But then, as you said, ladders up to this very clear value statement of what it is that your drug is going to deliver. Um, that process in and of itself is kind of fascinating to me because it, I feel like if it's done right, then you're kind of giving each person, regardless of the conversation he or she is going to have the tool that they need to have that, have that conversation with data and with, um, sort of person, not personalized, but like, uh, the ability to customize the value prop for their yes. particular conversation. It, it allows for custom tailoring where yeah. necessary. Yeah. But we all have agreed on which fabrics to use, et cetera, to use That's the tailoring right. metaphor. I, I'll, I'll share with you that, um, so my wife and I have been married for, for 15 years. My wife and I met through a mutual love of cooking. And so when, when we've moved from, from house to house and, and, and when I've moved from role to role, this required a move, uh, we've either searched out for a house that has an amazing kitchen or in the case of my most recent uh, move, uh, we, we had the, the good luck of being able to build a home. And we joke that we built a house around a kitchen. Um, right. We just, we love cooking. And so to me, proper execution in, in global medical affairs that rolls out to the countries, then ultimately rolls into the regions and then rolls down to the field level, proper execution in medical affairs is, is a, is a well-made recipe that yes, a few, a few people were involved in the creation of that recipe using the insights that came back from everyone else, of course, but like, I think a few people are involved in creating that message and that narrative, that message and narrative is then sent out across the, the cross-functional teams. And then ultimately being able to step back and allow any chef to come in the kitchen. And as long as they follow that recipe, yeah, it might have a different flavor. It might have a different flair. It might have a couple extra ingredients depending on, um, you know, which kitchen is being cooked in. But as long as everyone is following that same general guidance, the same recipe, you can, with, with almost certainty, you can feel confident that 
its execution is going to ladder up to and and get people across that that bridge that we've built over into that land of success. I love that metaphor. And actually that to me seems like a very nice place to to end our end our discussion. So um thank you so much. This was this was really fun and informative and I feel like we got we covered covered a lot in a short time, which is the perfect result, I think. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And I'll, I'll just reiterate really quickly that um, I've had a successful career so far because of exceptional managers and because of exceptional communication and knowing what's needed, when it's needed and how much is needed. And if you don't know, if you're listening to this podcast and you want some really high specifics, I think that that's the question you need to ask yourself is, do you understand what you're being asked to do? And if the answer is anything except for a yes, you need to communicate more, have, ask more questions. Um, and, and that that's really, I think the key to success is knowing exactly what is needed. Um, I will also share just briefly, cause I need to say this out loud is that my opinions are of are mine and mine alone and don't represent, um, the organization, uh, for which I work. So just being clear here and, and, um, indemnifying myself like a good, good medical affairs employee. Excellent. Evan, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Send to you, John.